welcome to episode seven of the Gambots podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this episode, we're going to be giving you a quick sports update. We're going to be talking about the first episode of season three for The Good Place. We're going to be talking about Legion. I'm going to tell you about some books that I've been reading as well as Christian. And I'm going to talk about uh, Super Mario Odyssey. But first, week five of the college football season happened and there were some good games this weekend. Syracuse almost upset Clemson. Clemson went down a couple quarterbacks there, and they were actually behind for part of the game. And they pulled it out, but their ranking dropped to number four, which they really could have lost to Syracuse. I mean, it was it was Syracuse's game to lose. So another big game was the Notre Dame-Stanford game. Everyone thought it would be pretty close. Stanford usually does well against Notre Dame, but this year Notre Dame beat them 38-17. It was just a total beatdown on Notre Dame's part. And what I think was probably the best game of the weekend was Penn State, Ohio State. Ohio State went into Happy Valley this weekend, and Penn State surprisingly dominated the game for for the most part. Their defense looked surprisingly good. Their quarterback looked good, but with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, Ohio State was down, but they came back and scored two quick touchdowns. Penn State's defense fell apart. And then in maybe the worst call of the college football season, Penn State had a fourth and five to keep their hopes alive on the final drive to try and get into field goal range. And they decided to run up the middle, which was a really questionable call. There were three timeouts, and that was the best play they had chosen. Their quarterback, Trace McSorley, had been tearing up Ohio State's defense, and they took it out of his hands and gave it to the running back who had only 45 yards for the game. And he just he got stuffed at the line of scrimmage almost every time. So baffling call there, but it was a real close game down to the wire. It was a fun game to watch. And then in NFL news, the two most interesting things I found this weekend were the Titans upset the Eagles. The Eagles, you know, the reigning Super Bowl champions, are sitting at 2-2 two and two right now. One other interesting story is the Raiders finally have a win. They're 1-3. They beat the Browns 45-42. to 42. And then... To dovetail with that, Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears are still looking really good. They beat down the Buccaneers 48-10. to Khalil Mack looks fantastic. Bringing him to that defense has energized them to an extent that I don't think anyone could have imagined. I mean, so far, it looks like he's worth what they gave up for him. Fitzmagic is over in Tampa Bay. They put in Jameis Winston, and Winston did not do much. Mitch Trubisky looked great for the Bears. I'm really impressed with the Bears. The Bears are one Aaron Rodgers comeback away from being 4-0 right now, and that's a position no one saw them at. Being a 3-1 right now, no one saw them there at the beginning of the year. Even when they picked up Mac, I don't think most people would have thought that they'd be looking this good. So how did your fantasy football team fare this week, Christian? Not bad. I won, which is always a good thing for me. Uh, Who are your big performers this week? My biggest was Corey Davis. He scored me about 30 points. That was nice. Once again, I picked the wrong quarterback. Breeze scored me about 10 points, whereas Bortles scored over 30 sitting on my bench. My opponent's quarterback scored zero, though, so I guess I shouldn't be complaining too much. Who'd he have in? Tannehill for the Dolphins. After Thursday's game, our matchup was still 0-0. I just figured neither of us had anybody in. But I was wrong because my kicker had scored me five points and my defense had lost me five points. So it just evened out. So what are you, what, what's your record sitting at this season? Uh, right now I'm two and one. I'm about to be three and one. 
Well, that's not, that's a good start. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with it so far. I always feel like I do a little bit better than I should. So last week, season three of The Good Place aired, and I had a chance to see it, and you had a chance to see it, Christian. What did you think so far? I'm enjoying it so far. I'm really enjoying really kind of everything about this show. I definitely like the way it kind of reinvents itself every season. So we'll see how uh, we'll see how this season plays out with everybody being on Earth together. For any listeners who don't know, The Good Place is a comedy by Michael Schur, who is heavily influenced by Lost to a certain extent, where every episode has a story going on, but there's flashbacks, flash wars, things like that. So you're kind of getting two stories in one throughout it. And it's probably one of my favorite comedies on TV right now. It originally entered in 2016. Their premise is that this woman died and she went to heaven. Um, but then it turns out she was a bad person and she thinks that she should, you know, she shouldn't be there. And so first season covers her trying to hide that fact. And then there's twists all over the place. It's such a good show. I don't want to say more about season two as it might spoil it, but it's a it's a really good show and you guys should check it out if you get a chance. But I also really liked episode one last night. I, it was 45 minutes, so I don't know if they crammed two episodes together or not, but I can't believe that they do this every season where it's just a, a completely different premise and it just works. They did do a double episode, yeah. And you had mentioned Michael Schur. I actually just learned who he was because of The Good Place. I was looking at the showrunner and trying to figure out who it was because I love this show so much. And I found out that he has really been a much larger part of my life than I had expected him to be because he helped create the U.S. version of The Office and he wrote Parks and Recreation and he wrote Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And now this is his newest project. Wow. I I guess I never looked into him either. Now that you say that I'm looking at he's also played Mo Schrute in The Office He's been part of great shows for NBC. Yeah, and now Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. That was on Fox, but just this last season, NBC acquired it after Fox canceled it. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to do a quick shout-out to another podcast that's the Good Place podcast that's run by one of the cast members, and they have the actors and showrunners on from time to time and interview them. And I actually listened to the first episode about a week ago, and he says that basically due to the success of his other shows – when it came time to make The Good Place, NBC basically told him, hey, here's the money, do whatever you want to do. And so this is what he did. It's it's impressive. I mean, I really like, too, that they have the same cast essentially playing different parts every season. And, and Ted Danson in this is phenomenal. I mean, it might be my favorite thing he's done since Cheers. Oh, it's just everything about this show is so well done and layered. It's just... It's mind-blowing I don't hear more people talking about it. Yeah, it's hysterical, and it's smart in a way that I haven't seen a lot of shows be. It manages to get interesting points across and makes you think a little bit about kind of just life in general. And Because a big chunk of the show is about philosophy and about learning to be a better person and all these different schools of thought. And they managed to include that without it seeming luxury or without them, like they're sitting you down and just talking at you. It really becomes a part of the show, like it's its own character. And it gets weaved into the stories of all the different characters that are going from episode to episode. Yeah, and all the characters are, I think, are really likable and funny in their own rights. But my favorite is the character Jason Mendoza. 
who is a huge fan of Jacksonville. And for the first two seasons, they just ragged on Jacksonville for being a bad football team. And then they've actually been good for two of them. And it's just and his favorite player is Blake Bortles. And my God, when he was talking about his dance crew and just the flashbacks of him with his dance crew, I thought it was great. Like, I could not stop laughing. Yeah, that was one of my favorite things from this most recent episode is you finally get to meet the 60-person dance crew in this episode. Yeah, and then he has a six-person dance crew, and they lose a third of the crew, and they still have more dancers than everyone else. And I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that I only picked Blake Bortles for my fantasy team because of how much I love Jason on The Good Place. Yeah, I mean, it's working out for you this year. I'm excited to see where this direction goes because I, I was unsure how they would start season three and it's a cool cool concept they're going with. I'm I'm really excited to see where they go with it. Adam Scott showed up at the very end of the episode. So I'm excited to see his character again. Yes, that that was so exciting for me. Because following the episode and you know something's going on, and I really thought it was gonna be Mark Evan Jackson, the guy who plays Sean, and he's actually the one that runs the Good Place podcast. I really thought it was going to be him that walked in at the end. And when Adam Scott walked through the door, I actually shouted a little bit. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be Sean as well. Yeah, I've been going back and rewatching Parks and Recreation because I realized I never finished it. I never watched that last season. And now I, I had to go back to season two to get caught back up because I didn't remember anything that was going on. And so it's fun to see him as somebody who isn't his character in Parks and Rec, who is the exact opposite of Ben Wyatt. He's much closer, I think, to his character from Step Brothers, who is just a turd of a person. I completely forgot he was in Step Brothers. You're right. It is. He is just a complete tool. In that. So this week, you read the short story Legion. What was that about? So it was the third one. It's by Brandon Sanderson. It is the first time that the Legion story has been available in print, which is exciting. It's always just been available as an ebook. But he took all three of the stories and he squashed them into one book called Legion, The Many Lives of Stephen Leeds. And it was a fun read. I'd read the previous two when they came out and I really liked them. The idea is this man has multiple personalities, but not in like a typical way. He is able to absorb information very quickly and then turn that information into a hallucination who's an expert on it, who can then like give him the information back whenever he needs it. Interesting. So is this a sci-fi book? Is it a fantasy book? It's a little sci-fi, a little mystery. The later stories become more sci-fi as they go, but usually he's just kind of, he gets hired to like solve crimes or solve mysteries and he uses, they're called aspects. He uses his aspects to help him with this. And so this is going to be the last one. This was the conclusion. It took some twists and turns I wasn't expecting. It got a little dicey in the middle. I was I was a lot more edge of my seat than I expected to be from a, a novella. But it, you did a good job. And it has a, uh, I would say, a decently satisfying ending. Good. So I'm assuming if people are fans of Sanderson, you are saying check this oh, out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So last week I was on vacation, so I actually ended up reading and finishing a lot of books, uh, three in total. So I'm going to just briefly talk about them. The first one that I finally finished was the second book in the Shades of Magic trilogy. This is by Victoria Elizabeth Schwab, also known as V.E. Schwab. 
Uh, she's a fantasy writer, and this takes place essentially in uh, alternate dimension of London. So in her Shades of Magic trilogy, there's four worlds, but she bases them around London. There's the our world's London that doesn't have any magic. There's Red London, which has a lot of magic. There's White London, which has magic, but it's dying, and it's a much more vicious place. And then there's Black London, which is destroyed. So in the first book, you follow the main hero who's a... Uh, one of the rare people who can travel between the worlds. And he's like the court's magician trying to take something back to black London. And then, so this one starts uh, in the aftermath of that. And it's more or less following the story of a magical tournament that the red, his world red London's having. And then you see stuff happening in the other London's that come into affect his world. And uh, overall, it's a pretty, pretty good book. My biggest problem with it was I really liked the first one. The second one was really slow towards the middle. She goes into a much more world-building mode where you actually switch between two characters. You go between the uh, magician and then you go also to who was his companion in the first one. It's a thief from our world. And so there's parts of it where she's exploring the world and you're seeing more of that. But it just can get really slow at times. And then in the last hundred pages or so, it really picks back up and it it got me interested again and then it ended on a cliffhanger. So I was not originally planning to read the third one, but I am now, <laughs> but it's, it's not one of my favorite fantasy series, but it is, it is a fun one to read, but overall, you know, you might like it. You might not. I'd say read up on it a little bit before you get it. If you want to check it out. The world building stuff, it's uncommon to get somebody who does it really, really well and does it right. Otherwise either there's a lot of holes that you're left wondering about things or there's, like you said, it just becomes like a slog to just get through it all. The next book I finished, also a fantasy book, is by Michael Moorcock. It's called Elric of Melnibone. He has an entire series of these books that I just sort of recently found out about. I haven't really been able to find them in my library. They finally had one, so I got the first book chronologically, but it's actually one of his later books. So he writes about this albino prince uh, who's from Melnibone, and he's more or less like an elf in the other worlds. But in this world, the elves are vicious. They don't care about humans. They're very selfish. You know, they they want to be powerful and they rule and they value power. So I've read somewhere that um, it was actually Michael Moorcock's uh, writing was a reaction to Tolkien and that these elves were too perfect and that's not how the world really is. So it's interesting. He's definitely a little bit of a different character for a fantasy setting. And so he's an albino magician. He's physically weak. He has to take these magic potions to stay healthy and be able to move around. But he's also the king of his people. Um, the story essentially follows his adventures of uh, his cousin trying to depose him and then him regaining the throne. And you see him finally get what is his iconic sword, which I think comes more into his this originally started a short story, so you this is actually like a prequel to all those. But he has a sword that uh, when it kills people, steals their souls and it helps nourish him. So it's how he came to get that sword. Overall, it was a pretty good book. It, it made me want to keep reading these, so I actually started the second one. And I'm going to slowly move through these. And the final book I read was Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. It's a book by Jason Schreier over at Kotaku. It's basically like 10 short essays. Each, each chapter is about 20 pages. Each chapter talks to the creators of specific video games. So chapter one is for Pillars of Eternity. Chapter two is Uncharted 4. 
There's Stardew Valley, Diablo 3, Halo Wars, Dragon Age Inquisition, Shovel Knight, Destiny, Witcher 3, and Star Wars 1313. And each one of these chapters, he interviews important people on this project, and it essentially goes through the timeline of the project and how things that happened, how it actually came about, were there pitfalls, why did some things change that they promised at E3. And overall, it's a really interesting dive into these games where you get to see behind the curtain on how video games are actually made. And I found it really interesting because I really like some of these games. So Pillars of Eternity, for example, was a huge one of the first big Kickstarters for games that I heard about. Really interesting to hear about that process. Stardew Valley is a really cool game, but it's only made by one person, which is insane. And, you know, learning about that was cool. Diablo 3 had a notoriously bad launch and just learning about how they fixed it. All this was really interesting to me. So if you like video games and specifically if you like any of the games listed in the book, you should really check it out. That's pretty neat. I like when stuff crosses mediums like that, where you get a book about video games or you get a movie about video games, that kind of stuff, like Ready Player One style kind of stuff. I just started playing a a board game, card game called Boss Monster. The entire layout of the the game is based on like old 8-bit stuff. It's pretty cool looking. I mean, I, I love Boss Monster. I think it's a great game. So this week you saw Night School, Christian. What did you think of it? I liked it. I went in with not a whole lot of expectations. I wasn't sure if I was going to think it was funny or not. But, man, it had me laughing pretty consistently throughout. Well, that's good. I'm not I'm not a huge Kevin Hart fan, but how did he, how did he do in this one? He did pretty well. I go back and forth on Kevin Hart. He's okay. He's good in some things. I thought he was hysterical in The Wedding Ringer. Other movies, I think he's usually falls secondary to the person he's teamed up with like he did in central intelligence the rock kind of took over and it's the same way in this tiffany haddish is really the star of the show in this movie so right now it's sitting at a 30 percent on rotten tomatoes uh, do you do you think it deserves that score oh no i think it's a lot better than 30 percent. i think that number will go up the more people see it it is number one at the box office this week though it made about 27 million dollars People do love Kevin Hart. He's he's one of those actors where I can't believe random people will love him. Like, my parents really like <laughs> Kevin Hart. And I just can't, I don't know why. I did think he was pretty good in Jumanji, though. Yeah. I mean, everybody was good in Jumanji. We talked about Jack Black last week. That was just a good movie all around. Yeah. Tiffany Haddish definitely is is the star of this one. I thought she was hysterical. I haven't seen her in much. I know she was in Girls Trip earlier this year, and she was also in Uncle Drew for a little while. She played his fiance or girlfriend that left him for Nick Kroll. And she was fun in that. She was a little goofy. But this movie, she was on another level. I was laughing at her the entire time. Yeah, I gotta say, because we're never going to talk about it again, I think Uncle Drew is underrated. I think that was a surprisingly funny movie for being a 90-minute commercial. Yeah, the the origins of that movie were the most astounding part of it, I think. Yeah, I cannot believe that got a theatrical release. But she was good at it, and I thought she was funny. Uh, Her and Nick Kroll's characters, I think, were great in that movie, but sorry, we're not, not really talking about Night School there. So it looks like uh, it was directed by Malcolm D. Lee, who did Undercover Brother. He did Welcome Home, Roscoe Jenkins, Scary Movie 5. Most notably for me, he did Barbershop, The Next Cut, which was the barbershop that came out in 2016 and was probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen in a theater. (laughs) Uh, It's up there with The Man of Steel, but I could not believe I paid full price to see that. It was just not great. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, he does a good job on this one. And it's a decent cast, too, just beyond the two of them. Rob Riggle is in it, and so is Al Madrigal. And they're both very funny. I like them in almost everything I've seen them in, and they're, they're good in this, too, especially Al Madrigal. I didn't realize Tiffany Haddish was also in Keanu. Was she really? Was she the woman that turned out to be a cop at the end? Yes, she was. She is the cop, I think. Didn't even register. Another really good one that... Man, I'm gonna have to. She was in. I'm gonna have to go back and watch Keanu again now. <laughs> oh man, that was another surprise. I love, I love, I love Key and Peele, and just seeing that they got that whole movie, man, it was so good. Yeah. So this week, I'm going to give a review of Mario Odyssey. I finally have been able to play through the whole game, and it's good. I really enjoy it. it I think it deserves all the praise it's getting i don't know if i would say it's the best video game ever i don't even know if it's the best mario game mario 64 is really up there with me and i've not played galaxy or galaxy 2 but i know people like those but of the ones i've played for 3d mario games it's fantastic the controls are as tight as you would expect from a nintendo mario game so in this game big design feature is Mario is now able to throw his hat and possess enemies. And how that comes about is in the beginning of the game, Bowser kidnaps Princess Peach, you know, what else is new? But he also kidnaps this hat from this world where ghosts can inhabit things. And this ghost inhabits hats. And the ghost's boyfriend teams up with Mario to go save his ghost bride. And Mario wants to save Peach, obviously. So when Mario throws his hat and hits an enemy, you become that enemy and then the controls are different. Like if you're a Goomba, you don't slide on ice and you can jump on top of other Goombas and stack up. Or you can turn into the Hammer Brothers and you throw fireballs. Or And so a lot of the game's levels are designed around becoming the enemies of Mario and then traversing the level. So it makes it very different than a normal Mario game because you're not just running and jumping everywhere. You're exploring but also becoming enemies and having to use new ways to get around the level. And it's fun. And all the levels are really well done. You have your standard ice world and things like that, but they're, they're so well done that you don't care that a lot of some of these are reused. The only shortcoming I think of the game is the bosses are all pretty predictable, but they are in Mario in general. You know, you have to jump on them three times. So in this game, you just have to use your, they, you use your hat in a way to figure out how am I able to jump on them. I think the Bowser battles are actually challenging until you learn his patterns. Overall, those aren't the best, but the exploration of the worlds is fantastic. A big chunk of this game is actually finding what's called the Power Moons. And if you play Mario 64, they're similar to the stars that you find. And so you get them by doing completing the levels or just finding them throughout the world. So a lot of this game is actually about exploration and not so much just about the story, which is a little bit of a departure uh, from the Mario games. But I think it works out well just because I really like going through the the levels. My, my only other complaint on it is I think there's too many Power Moons. I think there's maybe 10 total levels. There's a couple where there's only one or two where you fight a boss. And there's 999 Power Moons. Oh my god. And so, yeah, right? And some of them are... You know, one level might have like 52 of these things to find, and it's, and it's just so densely packed. I think they could have done a better job of decreasing the number you find and making it more interesting to get some of them. Because some of them are just hidden, you feel a vibration, and you ground pound. It's, it's not really rewarding. And the ones I think were better is you have to do like a mini level to get through, and I thought those ones were fun to get. Yeah. That's so many. 
Yeah. One of the cool things they do is they, uh, if you go into pipes, you actually go onto a 2d screen and it's like, you're playing the original Mario brothers and the pixel graphics. So that's some cool ways to traverse around the world. Uh, overall, very, very good game. It's a must own title for a switch, especially if you like Mario. If I had to give it a, a grade overall, I think I would put this as an A tier game. I don't think it's an all time great game, but I think it's one of the best games of this generation so far. So in other gaming news this week, uh, one big one is Assassin's Creed Odyssey has come out. I've not got a chance to check anything out about it. So have you ever played those, Christian? I played Assassin's Creed 2. I got the pack that was all the Ezio games. I never played the the sequels to 2, but I really like 2 a lot. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people tend to say is either 2 or Black Flag are the best ones. A lot of people liked Origins as well last year. I've not played 2. I've played part of the first one. I've played Brotherhood somehow. I missed 2 even though it's supposed to be the best one. I've played parts of Revelation, which was the third one in the Ezio trilogy. And I, I really did like Brotherhood, but those games are so hard to go back and play sometimes that I don't know if I can go back and play the, the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 era Assassin's Creed games. They I don't think they control very well in retrospect. Well, yeah, I played two on the 360 and it was weird for me. I was in a I was in a point where I hadn't really been playing video games for several years. And I mean, I'm still kind of in that, but somebody had finally bullied me into trying it because I still had my 360. I kind of gave in and, and gave it a shot. And man, I got so fully sucked back in. It was like I'd never been gone. That's two when it was new, and I think they were doing really good things. I think people got fatigued with Assassin's Creed because it became a yearly franchise. I think people got tired of it, and they released a movie which did not do very well. <laughs> I was, uh, so was going to mention the movie and how terrible it was. Yeah, and so now they've gone it every other year schedule, or they did at least for Origins, which people liked. And Odyssey came out. It follows uh, the assassins in ancient Greece. So we'll see how that ends up turning out. And also this week, and probably the most depressing news that I've heard is Telltale Games has shut down, which I ended up talking about them a decent amount on this podcast because I played Tales from the Borderlands uh, a couple weeks ago. And so Telltale Games unexpectedly shut down. They were in production doing their newest season of The Walking Dead. And out of nowhere, they said, oh, studio's closing. Uh, Everyone got fired. No one got their severance packages. It seemed like a complete blow. The staff is actually filing a class action against them because in California, you have to give people 60 days notice. You can't just fire them. It seems like a really bad situation all around. And I'm, I'm a little sad because... While the games weren't very innovative for the past couple of years, I thought they were so really good at telling a story. And it's just always sad to see a lot of people lose their job. That's crazy that they just shut their doors. What what happened? Do we know? Is was it did they just run out of money and just decide to call it quits, or did something happen? It's a little bit unclear because they're filing for bankruptcy, so I don't know if they've said anything. But from what I've gathered from news and other podcasts, are that they had a few deals out there and they had enough money for one project, and they were assuming, you know, like if they had three deals, they're assuming one of these would come through, and it seems like. All of them fell through, and because of that, they immediately just had no money to pay anyone. And they had actually just recently entered into a deal with Netflix to do Choose Your Own like Adventure Television. And when you saw that, you're sitting there thinking, oh, their, their problems are solved. Do you have Netflix money? 
but it wasn't, you know, I'm sure we'll hear more as it goes on and as people will start leaving the company. But right now it's no one knows for sure, but it just seems like a lot of deals fell through all at once that they weren't anticipating. Yeah, that's wild that they've still folded after the Netflix thing. How dire must their situation have been to have gotten that deal and still have it not been enough? Yeah, and that's the thing is they've created a lot of critically well-received games. But video, after reading that book, video games are really expensive to make. And they, they estimate something of like $10,000 per person per month oh, wow. along those lines. So if they have a big studio, those games, they just get expensive. So I, I don't know. It's just weird to me that you would start projects because they were... So how they do their games are they release seasons and then every two months it'll be like an ep- one episode of the season. So the entire season will take about a year to go through. They just released episode one of, I think it was season four of The Walking Dead, and then they fell through. So this is like in the middle of them releasing a game. You cannot even get that anymore on the PlayStation Network. So if you don't own it, you probably never can at this point. Uh, they did say they'll try and fulfill as many of their outstanding obligations that they can. But, you know, if they have no money, who's going- who are they paying to do this? Yeah, really. All right, guys. So finally, we're going to play our Amazon review game. And just to review the rules, I'm going to read a five-star review from Amazon to Christian, and then he'll get two questions. And then if he needs it, I'll read another review, and he gets two questions, and then he gets a final review and has to guess the movie. This film is among the better and consequently more memorable action films of the 1990s. While some obvious creative liberties are taken with the source material, it still turns out to be a solid film one can enjoy watching. I could have done without Nick Cage's exaggerated take on a Southern accent, but I'll live. Uh, John Malkovich was as awesome as he always is playing the diabolical villain. I enjoyed John Cusack's portrayal of an intelligent and environmentally aware Marshall. He had a good head on his shoulders throughout the film, but let a certain amount of emotion slip through his professional facade at just the right moments. Hmm. A lot of names dropped in there. What decade is this from? The 90s. Is it Con Air? It is Con Air. Nice. All right, so what are you checking out this week, Christian? Well, I'll for sure be sitting in front of my television on Thursday for the next episode of Good Place. Other than that, Smallfoot came out this week in theaters, and I heard it was good. I'm not really sure what I expect it to be, but it's got a really big cast, and I'm a fan of a lot of the people in it, so probably going to check that out. This week, I'm a lot of the shows that I watch are premiering or they premiered last week so these are family comedies but i got into them because my parents watched them and i ended up watching with them is the goldbergs modern family and then bob's burgers is also was released on sunday so i'm excited to check that out and then i'm hoping fresh off the boat starts soon and then next weekend i am going to be seeing venom a friend's coming into town and he wants to see it so i'm hoping they do venom justice he was my favorite character from the spider-man series he was not well done in spider-man 3 so <laughs> i hope he's done well on this I, I just don't i don't have high hopes that's true i mean i'm a big fan of tom hardy i forgot venom was this week i'm definitely gonna be watching that as well and then finally, I'm going to continue along with Horizon Zero Dawn. I'm maybe 15 hours in right now. Still an awesome game, but I've just, I wasn't in town last week, so I haven't got to play very much of it. 
I guess between now and our next episode, Doctor Who will have also come back on, so I'm definitely going to watch the season premiere of that on Sunday. Nice. Uh, it's the new the new Doctor, right? The the lady Doctor? Yeah, Jodie Whittaker. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to our episode. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at the Gambots Network. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you.